Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome Owen Duffy, director of The Missing Scarf, and I Am Here. Good day, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Squiggly Animation Podcast. Been a little while, but we're we're back in style. I couldn't have begun it worse. <laughs> tradition dictates. <laughs> we're back into the flow of things immediately, Ben. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Steve Henderson. How are you doing, Steve? I'm fine, Ben. How are you? All is well. All is well. Wedding impending. Finished up on Trampires last week. Which was fab. It was a little bit sad, because I missed the team. But I sure as shit will not miss getting from Bristol to Bridge End and back every day. <laughs> so, you know, the contract ended on a really positive note. You know, had everything I had to do sorted by the last day. Uh, and I got a little head. Uh, what? Uh, allow me to rephrase. When uh, crew members move on, uh, they get given a little bronze-painted bust of uh, the main character. Chuck Steele is a leaving gift. Oh, fantastic. So that was a little head I got. Lovely little souvenir. <laughs> so yeah, this is, this is the last podcast before your wedding, Ben. So this is this is the Stag Do podcast. We have to, you know, every time we mention The Simpsons or every time we do some animation news, slammer a tequila. It works for me. <laughs> and as it so happens, I happen to be surrounded by spirits. That's because of this, not just because they were there. <laughs> So yeah, how 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 is it all going, Ben? Uh, pretty good. It's all uh, on track, as far as I'm aware. So a few days ahead of um, errands, and then come Saturday the sixteenth, which will be shortly after this podcast goes out, I am indeed off the market. Oh. Sorry, girls and boys. I'm sure you'll move on somehow. <laughs> then we're going to take a break from animation business for approximately thirty six hours until the Encounters Festival <laughs> kicks off. <laughs> Which we're going to stick around for. We're going to go on honeymoon the week after. But uh, as it turns out, Loris Film is indeed in Encounters. So we're sticking around for that. And I'll be doing the usual kind of, uh, you know, filmmaker pestering, as uh, we tend to do around these things. So I'll be actually pestering Laura, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's what that's the reason she's marrying you. So yeah, that's us for the time being. How are things going in uh, Mathville? Mathville, yes. Uh, well, it's been pretty busy uh, over here as well. Uh, I've finally got the phd out of the way so we can concentrate on oh I'll, I'll i'll do a little bit of relaxing now i've got the phd out of the way i know i'll, I'll carry on doing the festival so <laughs> things that explains my end of things why there's been no podcast for a while as well so we'll be announcing the full program on september the 25th as well so that'll be going live on the website and we'll be announcing it on our social media and facebook and twitter and all that kind of stuff uh, so you'll know what films have got in uh, what'll be happening at the festival, the special guests that we've got coming on. And it's a really, uh, it's the biggest programme we've done yet. Uh, we've got more guests this year than we've ever had. We've got more events than we've ever had and more screenings than we've ever had. Uh, so yeah, cramming it all into three days has been quite difficult. So do you think there's scope like in the future to maybe um, stretch it out over more days? Maybe, yeah. Uh, we just have to talk to the venue. It is good though. I mean, it is a very intense three days you know, the ones that you've done so far, and if this one's going to be even bigger. I do like that, like, there's always stuff to do. There are other festivals where it's like, it goes over like a week and a half, and there's like 
a thing a day. Mm. So I think it's quite nice to do like a densely packed, like concentrated time period. Then people can kind of, you know, organize their um, their time off work or whatever a lot easier. Yeah, make it worth taking time off. It's an animation assault. That's where it is. It's right in your face. <laughs> it's, there's no stop from morning, morning, noon and night. It's all animation. You just want to leave people like in a corner rocking back and forth. <laughs> so much animation. <laughs> Exactly. That's that's my dream, <laughs> is to break people with animation. <laughs> but yeah, things are going well, thanks. Super. Yeah, so over the uh, the course of our summer break, to use the term extremely loosely, <laughs> the animation world at large is, of course, still turning. However, for the last couple of months, my life, as far as distractions or entertainments, because I haven't really had much time like between getting home and going to sleep, I've basically just been watching Twin Peaks. So I'm not really that up to speed. Although, I've also been watching Rick and Morty. Yeah. That's been pretty good. There's been some recent news I guess we'll get to. Well, you can't have avoided the Early Man trailer that's been released, Ben. I certainly uh, can't have. have. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, it was it was the talk of the office mm. um, when it went up last week. There's a pretty significant crew overlap. People who were on Trampires and then went on to Early Man. Yeah. And vice versa, I think, maybe, as well. But I think the film looks pretty much identical to what I imagine you and I and most people had envisioned in our heads. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting in terms of uh, scheduling. In the UK, we always seem to do two huge animated features at the same time. Because you remember uh, 10, 12 years ago when Curse of the Were-Rabbit was being produced... There was also a crew down in Three Mills working on uh, Corpse Bride. Oh, yeah. And then when Pirates, it was Frank and Weenie. And now, obviously, Chuck Steele, Night of the Trampires, an early man. It's like, well, maybe <laughs> maybe there's something that might be able to be worked out here where there's constant animation work. But I don't know what's kind of monumental logistics that would take. I mean, you can't halt ideas, really, can you? But... Yeah, I'm sure there are stop-motion animators dreaming of that scenario where they can just pleasantly hop from feature to feature without having to sort of concern themselves with release schedules and all that kind of stuff. Well, isn't Three Mills still doing Isle of Dogs at the same time as well? Yeah, yeah. So we got a, we got a triumvirate of people pinging about the place. But that seemed to be like, yeah, the, this year's kind of like triangle of uh, stop-mo features. There may even have been a fourth... <laughs> Sean the Sheep too, I think, was happening as well for a while. Um, I think that's yes. finished now. The only one, of course, I've seen is um, uh, Chuck Steele, albeit in a sort of unfinished uh, state. I think people are going to enjoy it. You know, I, it certainly doesn't f*** around as anyone who's... Yeah. I was trying to explain it to a friend of mine who uh, came over last night and was telling him what I'd been doing. And then I'm just like, you know what, I'm not even going to explain it. I'm just going to show you the short film. Because that sort of explains it the best, I think. If you watch like Raging mm-hmm. Balls of Steel Justice. And, you know, similarly, I mean, for a new Ardman project, this is not, Early Man is not the biggest style shift for them, <laughs> shall we say? It's, yeah. Uh, they, they're, they're certainly consistent in their uh, design sensibilities. The suspicion I think a lot of people had was that it was indeed going to be centered around a big football match. Mm-hmm. And that appears to be the case. And I guess it's Bronze Age versus the Stone Age. There's a certain, like, the Croods-esque quality to, to that, I suppose, the two eras. Uh, I would say without a moment's hesitation, it's going to be better than the Croods. Yeah. Um, 
I'm just going to like that's that's an amazing prediction. Let's see if that one comes. <laughs> the animation clairvoyant strikes again. <laughs> uh, someone I didn't see this, but someone mentioned that Mitchell and Webb did something quite similar, mm. but I, I don't think I saw that. It's interesting you say about the Croods because Ardman were originally involved in the Croods, weren't they? Oh yeah, Kieran was saying that. And now they're doing the caveman thing. Yeah. So this this must be the ideas that they wanted to put involved, or they they had for the Crude's adventure moved on. It could be. It, it's probably not because, uh, you know. But <laughs> it, it, it it there could well be some sort of like thirst for creating caveman animation uh, over at Ardman. And yeah, I, I think I, look, looking at the trailer, it looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, it looks like they've done a, a superb job, and this. Um, uh, football theme is, uh, is is rooted throughout it as well, isn't it? Yeah, which I would say for me is not the thing that grabs me by the proverbial short and curlies. Same. Um, but I do enjoy some of the gags in the trailer. It just feels very Ardman-y. I like there's a lovely gag in it that um, is very yoikes in a way, as when he's like falling down the uh, stadium s- mm. seats, you know? So stuff like that I always like. Ardman always have a really real gift for... Uh, you know, timing and slapstick and that sort of thing. I have actual laugh out loud moments in it for me. I like genuine laugh out loud moments. The bit where um, uh, Lord Nuth says, "Take them away and kill them slowly." Oh yeah, and they, they yeah. walk away slowly. <laughs> <laughs> that bit for me just we 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 know it's going to be good when you when you when you laugh out loud in a trailer. And I very rarely do animated things. One of the things that that did strike me though is that. All these kind of big stars that are, are, are working on this uh, feature, uh, Eddie Redmayne, Tom Hiddleston, uh, Maisie Williams, none of them seem to be using their own voice. They all seem to be doing hmm. accents and impressions and stuff. Interesting. Which might kind of, I can imagine that might be a little bit irritating to professional voice artists. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it's, I think it's more irritating if they just kind of give it to like the celebrity name and then... It's just Cameron Diaz, but she she's mm. a, a big green monster who sounds like Cameron Diaz, you know. And I think that even if it's like a comedian, very rarely do they, you know. I don't think Josh Gad brought much else to that snowman than just who he is, you know. Generally, mm. he was, he seems like someone who would have kind of a broad character spectrum in him, but I've never actually seen him be anything other than that one note if you know what i mean the like citable sort of goofy uh likable idiot but pretty much yeah that's that's pretty much yeah, him. he did that in book of mormon as well yeah so you know i think maybe at least if these so that and these aren't i think like the world's biggest celebrity i mean they're pretty big obviously mm. um but I, I i think at least if they're actually trying to be characterful and trying to bring a certain character quality like at least hugh grant wasn't just doing his hugh grant befuddled british handsome fellow character when he did pirates he was he gave it a little bit of bluster and a little bit of like pomposity wasn't a million miles away from the hugh grant that we generally know but at least he put in something that okay i'm playing a pirate yeah whereas eddie murphy is like am i a donkey or am i just every other eddie murphy thing you've ever seen me in um yeah Actually, that's annoying because he actually would do characters in his live-action movies, but not in the animation. <laughs> like when he did the clumps, he did shit characters. Let me clarify that; those films stunk, but but they were characters. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
So I don't know. I mean, I, I, certainly the acting seemed fine to me. I maybe wasn't paying that close attention to it, but you know, they all the jokes all landed. Um, There's a couple of uh, Donald Trump gags in there as well. I noticed. Oh yeah. There's yeah. Uh, well, Lord Nuth seems to have very tiny hands, and I, right. I can only assume that that's a Donald Trump gag. And there's a bit in the trailer where uh, one character uh, blows foam onto the head of a bald character in front, and it's Donald Trump's hair. Ah, okay. The foam turns into Donald Trump's hair. So, yeah, I'd, I'm going to be interested to see how that one actually pans out. I'm not sure that the hands thing is a Donald Trump thing, because, you know, Donald Trump has shown us, Ben, he's got big hands and there's no problem there. He's oh, yeah. assured us all. You know. <laughs> His yeah. hands fill me with confidence. <laughs> he could cup anything. I, uh, maybe it's like a marketing strategy. Maybe if he get, he gets wind of it and gets annoyed, he can tweet about it constantly, <laughs> as he is wont to do, while the world is actually ending. Ooh, what are my app mentions like today? I think the uh, the main reaction there was, you know, people who have come from you know other animation jobs, and they were looking at the trailer. It was quite funny. Like their their response was pretty consistent, and it was basically just them sort of reaching toward the screen kind of like wistful just like <gasps> twos i remember twos <laughs> <laughs> and replacement mouths <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, 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 I went down to the uh to see them making chuck steel uh, which would be incredibly boring for you, obviously, Ben, because it's the day job. But <laughs> but for me, obviously, going down there is, you know, in the sort of squiggly capacity and seeing them uh, at the studio, I know that Mike's got a very specific look, hasn't he? Someone else who's uh, very much doing their own thing and has been for quite a while just released a bit of news, our old pal Robert Morgan, the mm. macabre stop-motion animator. Very interesting because he also does stuff that's very sort of gruesome and in a sense, horror movie-esque, but also at the same time quite tonally disparate from that sort of Trampires tone, you know? His stuff, like Robert yeah. Morgan is definitely more of the kind of, you know, David Lynchy Brothers Quay, but with a bit more, like, visceral imagery. Stuff that mm. feels very claustrophobic and open to interpretation. And I hesitate to say, uh... Art house because I don't think you could really use that word. I mean, but there's certainly um, a quality of his film that fits more within the um, that area. I think when you think of stuff like yeah. the very stream of consciousness, insanity of Bobby Yeah, or the more considered structured stuff like the separation, and then things like the Cat with Hands, of course, which is just like a nightmare that you <laughs> that you wake up from with a jolt. <laughs> this film, I don't think there's much. Um, we yet know about it. He just put it on his Facebook page. We will uh, hopefully know more come next episode, um, which will be around Halloween, I guess. Uh, other than it's based on the movie Basket Case, which I uh, oh. I think is wonderful. It was me and um, some friends of mine. We do like our own kind of like you know B movie nights, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, we did a, a Basket Case trilogy night once a couple of years ago. That was very very good fun. It's they're wonderfully ludicrous films. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a treat to see that he's sort of doing something that possibly, like in an official capacity, I think it was commissioned, so maybe it's to go with like a re-release or something. I don't know, I'm just guessing, but I don't think it's like a fan film in the traditional sense, but maybe it is, maybe he just really likes Basket Case. Hmm. I got the impression from his phrasing that it was um, something more like official. But, um, yeah, something to keep an eye on. Uh, if, uh, you know, Robert Morgan, we've talked to on Squiggly a few times. He's definitely 
been on this podcast at least once before. But if you're not familiar with him and want to check out some quite challenging but very entertaining stop motion stuff, then, uh, you know, look him up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, his last thing I, he did that I saw, I think, apart from like a little scene he did in a Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, but he did a segment for the ABCs of Death 2, which far and away was one of the best scenes in the movie. You know, it, again, sort of similar to Bobby Yeah in a certain respect, but shorter, perhaps a bit more like sort of to the point, but really very nightmarish and horrific and uh, all done with like, you know, silicon and glue and like very, very economic like approaches to stop motion, but really kind of gets under your skin and makes you feel like creeped out. I always wonder where he gets all those toenails from. I think I asked him once, and he, he didn't he didn't quite give me the answer I, I, I expected. Uh, you're gonna have to ask him that one again for the. For the yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll make a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's a guy to follow on Facebook. That's a bit of news I was pretty excited about. Another weird coincidence in that sort of like on that subject when we saw Basket Case, and it was right after I had interviewed Sydney Bauman. I think for the first time. And I noticed in the credits of Basket Case a name I recognized, and I couldn't work out why I, I recognized it. And then I typed it in, and it's a guy called Sturgis Warner, and he's her partner and producer. He was in Basket Case. Mm. <laughs> he was, he's one of the monsters. Right. And I'd interviewed her like a week. I didn't even <laughs> know who she was, I think, like a couple of weeks before. And it was one of those weird, like, I don't think he was in any other movies either of all the sort of random things to sort of see like, you know, this guy, I think maybe he had, maybe I knew him because he had like intercepted the original email and passed it on to her or something. But yeah, just a crazy kind of connection. And now Rob Morgan's making a basket case film. See, it's all connected. This wonderful world <laughs> of horror and animation. That's pretty much all I, uh, oh, there's a new Bertram Fiddle game out. We talked with uh, Seb from Rumpus. God, nearly two years ago now. Um, it was been in the works for a while. Uh, that is finally out. I've had a little bit of a play of it. Uh, haven't been able to play it that much, but it's uh, it's very good fun. If people don't remember or didn't hear that earlier interview, this is Rumpus Animation, who do all sorts of great animated like promos and music videos here in Bristol, and had this character for quite a long time. It's a very wonderfully kind of British comedy character, sort of Victorian England, pseudo-Sherlock Holmes type. Uh, investigator and these are point and click games that they've made where you play as this character and you know it had been his student film and then they tried it as like a pilot i think and the thing that eventually kind of took hold was the the video games so they did the first one i think Mm. back in 2013 and this uh, second one just came out and it's um have you seen the the second one uh i've not had a chance to have a proper play of it yet um, but I've uh, I've been on the first one. I've seen the trailers and all that kind of stuff, and I've had a little look because I'm one of the Kickstarter backers. But uh, I've not had that much time to play on uh, on the game. I understand uh, Count Fulchmuckle makes a return, Ben, uh, by popular demand. <laughs> uh, I don't think he was originally, and they kind of um, they they he crowbarred uh, some lines into. Likewise, when you encounter him in the in this new game, I don't think there's anything he does that actually furthers your progress that you could, I think just walk by him. I may be wrong, but I think they just put it in as like a cameo. Right. Um, Cause that was a, yeah. So that was a character I played uh, in the first game, which was basically just me being pinhead from Hellraiser. It was a very sort of like clipped growly British voice. And um, 
did a couple of other peripheral characters and have done a bunch more for this one. One of them Seb wanted me to do as like Brian Blessed, and I I don't really bellow, like I don't really have that thing in me. I I can scream quite well. I, I you know I do a lot of singing and shows and stuff. Or, well, not so much these days, but back in the day, you know I like doing some some sort of hard rock like live shows and stuff because it's quite a nice cathartic thing to have a big yell. But that bellow, that Brian Blessed like operatic almost bellow is hard (laughs) and this is how he speaks i think you have to be born with it so i it it was a real strong i think it comes out okay if you listen to it in the game but i remember it it completely blew my throat out on the day of recording it it's a big fat guy that you have to uh placate by finding food for him and i think there's another uh big fat guy i play where you have to placate him by finding food for him also count von schmuckle in the first game who's quite a big fat guy uh, the way you kind of like get help from him is you find food for him. Starting to notice a theme in the characters <laughs> Seb has me play for these games. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> but yes, uh, the, the animation in the new one's quite a bit more fluid. I think they actually did all the animation within the game software, mm-hmm. which I think is Unity or, or something. I don't know. But before they did it in Flash and then imported it. But it's a lot smoother, I think. It's quite fun to watch. He told me, obviously, with it being six to eight hours worth of gameplay, depending how good you are at these kinds of games. Uh, that's the equivalent to uh, a feature film's worth of animation being created. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, which is quite a, an achievement. All the backgrounds as well and props, and uh, that's a lot to do. The scope of the game is, is yeah, much, much bigger than the first one. Um, and I think, yeah, certainly if you were to kind of like put together like all the, the gameplay footage and all the independent animation you know like if you were able if you were able to kind of like group it all together in a way that wasn't like the looped animations yeah it would probably come to quite a lot of material Mm. so it doesn't remotely surprise me that uh they've been working so long on it a very small team at one point i think it was literally just two people getting it past the finish line so a kudos to the boys at rumpus animation hopefully it will be a continuing thing i i'm I've become quite fond of these characters, not just because I play a couple of them. Oh, I mentioned also in an earlier podcast episode that one of my characters has like a West Country accent. Yes. And that I suspected it wasn't very good. I got to that character. Oh my, it is so f***ing dreadful. Oh, so they kept you. They kept your West Country. (laughs) They kept it in, but it's awful. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, I look forward to that. What's the name of the character? Uh, Waxsmith the Blacksmith. <laughs> right, okay. And uh, he, has a, he has a son called Little Waxsmith. What are you doing there, Little Waxsmith? I'm playing Kicky Muck. This is his kid, like, kicking a pile of dirt. <laughs> That's literally as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the main things that's sort of on my mind as far as what's been happening, and then, uh, like I say, Encounters is around the old corner. I'm sure we'll have, uh, lots of stuff to kind of talk about in the very near future between now and math and, uh, I guess we could talk a little bit about this episode's guest. That's a good idea. On the subject of Encounters, who will be playing his film. This is a chap called Owen Duffy, who people may be familiar with uh, some of his work. He did a film that was just wonderful called The Missing Scarf. Mm. And his new film is quite different. Uh, We'll get to that in a sec. But The Missing Scarf is this very, very warm, philosophical film about a squirrel I believe is looking for his missing scarf and then encounters various woodland creatures who he then engages in these sort of like Zen discussions about like the nature of 
life, the universe and everything. And it's very <laughs> like deadpan and witty. Yeah. And the graphical style is wonderful. Like just the, the quality of the motion is so like lovely and smooth. And you have this kind of like CG kind of origami almost squirrel is the main character, but then the other characters are kind of more vector based and it's sort of an epitome of like what a really good modern successful film should have. Like it hits all the right points. Yeah. Hits all the right notes rather or something. I don't know. It's hit, hits, hits things. Something. <laughs> I don't know what the hell around the time that film came out. Uh, one of our squiggly writers who was also a filmmaker called Robert Graves, uh, did a piece with Owen Duffy about his own approach to distributing the film and getting it out there. And that, I think, is quite informative. That's obviously a subject that I have a lot of personal interest in, and I think probably a lot of people listening do too, because we all want people to actually see these f-ing things when we finish them. <laughs> Owen Duffy did a great job. I mean, he had George Takei do the narration. And it's interesting, He, I think he mentions it in this interview, that actually didn't give it as much of a sort of visibility boost as he thought it would. Mm. He has a just sort of keep your ears open for his point about like George Takei's social media presence because that uh, that I found quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there was a point when this film was released where George Takei's like Facebook page or Facebook following was almost religious in its following. Yeah, uh, and and you couldn't go on Facebook without somebody sharing a George Takei post or something. So you know, back in 2014, 2015, when this film was released. Uh, just one whisper from George Takei yeah. would have would have surely created such a sort of fury of fans that uh, Owen wouldn't have had to have made another film in his life. <laughs> yeah. Well, that being said, of course, it um, it did very well on its own steam. I'm sure people know the film that we're we're talking about. If they you know if they've forgotten and they look it up, they'll probably recognize it. Like okay, that one. But yeah, his latest film I don't think has really done the round so much. It hasn't been released online, as far as I'm aware. But thankfully it is actually going to be screened in Encounters, which I think will be a great venue for it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good sort of fit for the type of programming that Encounters are known for. And it doesn't have the same kind of story structure or necessarily the kind of like deadpan comedy elements of something like The Missing Scarf. Or a lot of his other work, he does. If you go into his Vimeo, it's just such a treat. It's like a grab bag of these wonderful little graphical micro shorts, and some of them are quite a lot of them are very funny. Mm. He's done a couple of like Christmas ones that are always really good. This is a little more um, contemplative, dry. Yeah, yeah. And there is a kind of a punchline of sorts, but I'm not sure if punchline is really the word. There's a reveal at the end. Mm-hmm. Which just it it just sort of places what you've just seen in a different context. I, I saw it as a as a punchline. I was because yeah. obviously it's not hilarious, but it's like a, a, a oh oh right. So is that is that funny or is that it is it is funny, but in a kind of glum way. Yeah, yeah. So you know the shame of it, uh, it being the way the way it is in the end of the film, which obviously we don't want to spoil. Uh, I'm sure the people who go and see it at Encounters will enjoy it. But, um, yeah, I'd be interested to, in the reactions to the, the ending of the film. And what did what did you take away from it, Ben? I mean, I, I, I liked it as a reveal. I thought it was quite well done. It reminded me of people I encounter in my life. There's a woman who lives in my building that's quite similar, I think. I think it's sort of, if I could think of a way of phrasing it without actually spoiling the ending, it's the difference between, I guess, who we are on the inside and who we are on the outside, and how the world 
sees us, I guess, is something mm. that the film kind of points out at the end. The essential setup of the film, and I think this is sort of present in like the trailer, in a very sort of gorgeous visual style. It's called I Am Here, by the way, this film. Um, and it's wonderful style of a sort of disembodied floating head just kind of explaining his place in the world and how he sees the world and what's going on as far as he's concerned. And it's a very sort of serene and yet somehow chaotic at the same time. Um, You see these little glimpses of all sorts of different iterations of this very simple character kind of like interchange. It builds beautifully. Yeah. It sort of, it flickers and changes and as these sort of contemplations become bigger and bigger and bigger and more outlandish which kind of lends itself well to the ending and the reaction that I got from the ending. Because it starts off as a relatively simple thing and then expands into... Yeah, it's 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 absolutely beautiful. I, I, it's difficult not to spoil the ending when, yeah, when yeah, describing the film. But uh, yeah, it starts off as flickers and then becomes huge uh, and, and all-encompassing. And then obviously it ends up as it ends up. What I might do, because we don't do this very often, I think I'll just put in like the audio from the trailer, because the um, the sound design and the voice actor for the English version certainly, it's it just sounds wonderful. It's a very like wonderfully textured audio visual piece, and I think that that's something that is definitely worth mentioning as well. So yeah, this this sort of is like a little demonstration of it. So yeah, it's playing at Encounters, and seeing it on a big screen at Encounters, I think, will be uh, quite a treat. Shall we hear from Owen Duffy about uh, making I Am Here? Yeah. Super. You have a quite succinct bio on your website, uh, writer and director of animation. (laughs) (laughs) I assume there's more to that story. Yeah, I guess I have to get better about talking about myself. Uh, I guess it doesn't come naturally to me, so yeah, hence the, the micro bio. But yeah, my background is in graphic design. So I have a degree in graphic design, mainly print design, and came out. We uh, graduated in 2006, uh, started working in web design, and then started messing around with programs like Flash, and then taught myself animation just over the years. And then three or four years ago, I just applied for a grant, and then that was kind of my jump into animation. It was a one single grant from the Irish Film Board, to uh, to make an animation. So that was a start for me. So that was entirely self-taught then, the motion graphics side of things? Uh, motion design, yeah. I, I guess it isn't a major achievement. My stuff is very, very simple. So like, like extremely minimal design and then the animation equally so, just very, very minimal. And when I do need to do more complicated stuff, I love teaming up with like, 
character animators or people that can do motion better than me. But yeah, for the most part, one kind of feeds off the other. My <laughs> my abilities are pretty small, so then the end result is pretty small and minimal. Well, I have to say, I mean, even considering like the the minimal design, which is quite striking, the movement mm. is quite. It's very well executed. I found like even just sort of little considerations that a lot of like trained animators tend to neglect certain areas like uh, little eases in and out, anticipatory action, stuff like that. That's especially, I guess, I, it's perhaps more of a team effort was the missing scarf, um, but certainly the way the motion graphics and the character animation kind of integrated with one another. I, I mean, the attention to detail in that one was quite uh, was quite sophisticated. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I guess more so than um, a polished look or a very, very... <laughs> Pixar-y feel to our like high production value. I think yeah, I'd probably spend more time on the timing. So um, yeah, I, I just the one little sequence or the one little transition. I could spend anything up to a day just slightly easing the timing between certain little crossovers and. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure where that came from or where I learned it or what it's based in. But yeah, I just. <laughs> I guess it's just doing it. I spend a lot of time just focusing on the timing. I just thought it was me uh, just being finicky. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I spend a lot of time on the timing of pieces, uh, which I enjoy. I love getting it because uh, uh, I played music for years and years. And I was in bands for years and years. So I think maybe it comes with a music thing, just getting that timing and almost a beat to a script. So yeah, even when I write scripts, I... I keep the sentences and the paragraphs all roughly the same size and length, so it, it kind of has a, a beat to it or a pattern to it. So, yeah, I guess timing is key for me. Well, of all the things to be, like, uh, you know, finickety about, <laughs> it's a pretty good one as an animator. So it definitely shows through. Cheers. The film that then you applied for the grant for, was that on departure? Exactly. So, yeah, it's very ev- uh-huh. evident that there's... That thing is hardly animated. It barely qualifies as an animation. But that's what kicked off everything. Uh, I kind of used that as a catalyst to get into animation. So I I presented the boards and I presented some little experiments I'd done in animation. And the Irish film board had massive balls and took a massive gamble on me and just said, yeah, here's a bunch of cash. Go make your first animation and represent us. So yeah, then from that... I made On Departure and looping back to distribution. The Irish Film Board are very good. They just hand you the film and you own all rights and it's up to you to promote and distribute the film. So with On Departure, I didn't have a clue of any of that. So it just kind of, I didn't really push it anywhere or enter into any festivals. So it didn't really get seen until I put it online. But yeah, that was the very first film. Were you then working with other people on that one, or was that kind of a solo effort? Uh, well, I'm primarily a solo effort. Even The Missing Scarf and On Departure, I think my go-to thing, which I tell a lot of animators starting out, is <laughs> pump your entire budget into audio. So that's why I did all these films. I pumped all our budget into audio and got like the best composers or voiceover artists or sound designers so that left little to no budget for animation. So then I just, me and the laptop, just whacked out all the visuals. Because, yeah, animation, it's hard to tell animators that they're 20% of the process. You know, you can, 
It's primarily an audio experience animation. So I think visuals <laughs> play a, a smaller role than audio. So I think, yeah, mm. pump all your money into audio and then worry about visuals later. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the best, the best evidence I've ever seen of it, there's an amazing video on YouTube of some kid who reenacted the entire... Toy Story 1, he reenacted the entire thing with just actual toys. Like, he, he just oh, uses yeah. a doll. He uses the audio of the feature film, like the full audio of the feature film, and then he just makes these shitty visuals. <laughs> but, like, frame for frame, you recreate the whole film. And the thing is very, very watchable, like, extreme, more so than a lot of very polished animation. I think it's all down to that audio base uh, is just very, very strong, and then you can just tack on any visual. So that's mm. why well, my visuals seem very, very simple and easy. I think, yeah, the, the complexities are in the audio. I suppose also, and, and it's probably a second nature as a designer, but compositionally, they're very easy on the eyes. And I think that probably helps a great deal as well. I guess they're minimal, but they aren't horrid. They aren't, uh, yeah, yeah. There's some talk on into it. It isn't just, yeah, crappy visuals slapped on, on top of audio. But I, I guess... Uh, circling back around is yeah, it's very easy to um, uh, it makes it easier once you have that stronger audio bed. Perhaps one of the favorites, my favorite making of films I've ever seen would have been what you put together for the missing scarf, <laughs> which uh, really gets to the nerve of the matter. Um, yeah, was was that film actually was it made under sort of similar circumstances as On Departure, or was it slightly different? Yeah, the exact same grant. So through the Irish Film Board, their frameworks program. Um, so yeah, halfway through On Departure, I got the idea for The Missing Scarf. So while I was producing On Departure, I applied for the grant for The Missing Scarf. So I went through the exact same process, which is good and bad. The Irish Film Board are really, really nice people to work with. And it's there's very few funding bodies that just completely hand you the film at the end and let you do what you want with it, where you own all rights. Like that's very rare. So yeah, I went through the exact same funding processes and then it was a lot of lot of paperwork. So with The Missing Scarf, I teamed up with a good friend of mine, a fellow designer, and he was the producer on the film, Jamie Hogan. He was a massive help in uh, pushing this film to be what it is today. And you and Jamie, you still work together on like, is it commissioned work mainly? Yeah, so that's what we tried to do. Uh, I kind of got sucked into this latest nfb film just yeah a long time friend and then he's really good about uh pushing the scripts to be the best possible script it can be like uh, i remember with the missing scarf i was say i took the script to like 80 percent of what it was and he was like no we need to get an editor involved and we need to keep do like 20 rewrites and we need to push it to that uh, extra level so i think he's he's a good pushing force i'm excited to team up with him again so yeah, mainly on commission work. Had you had much sort of experience writing before? Because it's it's quite a, a solid script. I mean, uh, to be honest, no. The Missing Scarf was the first script I ever wrote. Um, on Departure and all earlier work was just had no dialogue simply because it was the easy option. I didn't never knew anything about recording voiceover artists. Even when we recorded George Takei for The Missing Scarf, it was the first time ever directing a voiceover artist. First time in like a, a voice acting studio. It was just, 
so yeah, I was hugely out of my depth. So I, <laughs> I'm glad it came true. Yeah. George Decay seems like someone who'd be quite easy to work with. Yeah, he kind of just did his own thing. You didn't really because hmm. you can't tell a dude that had like has like 50 years of like solid experience. You just kind of let him do his own thing. You just kind of yeah, just what we think of the script. You just go for it. So yeah, he really. F- went for it. He nearly killed George K like veins popping out of his neck. But uh, <laughs> he was <laughs> he was excellent and we're happy to let him take the lead and he, he f- nailed it. So it was good. Mm. And he seemed quite enthusiastic about the film as well, which was nice to see. Like when it went online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he posted about it and we had great ambitions about his following of millions jumping on board. Just riding that wave of George Decay fandom, and it got like five thousand likes or whatever shares from George Decay and his fans. And then the next picture was like a cat falling off a tile or something, and it got like fifty thousand shares. Like, <laughs> okay, maybe they're not the right audience to be chasing. But him himself, it's a, he's such a such a phenomenal performer. It's a pity he doesn't get. He doesn't do more voice work. He's mainly focused on his social media stuff. But yeah, it's a pity not to see him do more voice work, acting work, I guess, in general. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I think the main reason we got him as well because his most known actors, I guess, uh, have multiple tiers of agents and managers. But uh, George K's partner, Brad, I believe, is his manager. So... One email to him, he's only one year shot away from George. So that, that made it easier to get him. It's definitely a great sort of pairing. You know? Yeah. And I think that people who perhaps weren't sort of used to... I mean, it's a very identifiable you know, voice. Yeah. And it's quite nice to sort of see it sort of paired up with something like contemporary. And it's almost like a kind of... I mean, there, there's a certain folksiness to the story <laughs> in a way. Like, it's... Was there any sort of, like, conscious reference to, like stories you'd read as a kid or fables or things like that no direct reference but i'm sure there's something there i know um because it's like it's like a kid's storybook uh kind of sets mm. you into this like false sense of security just so you can slap you in the face um so yeah we originally wanted a very kind of posh uk accent and we approached a couple of voiceover artists in the uk and we even did a, a demo with one of them and then we were looking at different American actors, but George is real. He has that kind of mid-Atlantic accent. He's definitely not full-on American accent, but he definitely has that English quality to him. There's like, because hmm. I know his family recognizes of like is it Anglophones or like, because um, he's named after the King of England, and his parents were like huge into English culture, and he. He grew up around it, and he was like a Shakespearean actor back in the day, so he kind of has that tone about him. So he, he kind of suited what we were chasing, like, on every level. So so right now you're based in Vancouver, is that right? Yep, yep. So what prompted that move? Was it mainly the NFB project, or was there something else? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so my wife is from Vancouver. Um, ah. So we met years and years ago just touring around and toured around for another couple of years and then just ended up back here. So yeah, as good as reason as any. So when did the, the relationship with the NFB start? It was maybe about two years ago I first approached them or a year and a half ago. Um, so yeah, I just 
shot him over an idea and said, what's the process they're working with you? And, and uh, they jumped on it because Vancouver, like NFB is kind of has offices all over Canada and they're trying to reignite their animation office here in Vancouver. So it was kind of the perfect storm. They were crying out for animators to team up with and they really wanted to push animation in Vancouver. And then I just happened to approach them at that exact time because that was the exact time the missing scarf was exploding. So they were like happy to team up. And yeah, really, really, really good people to work with. Did their approach to production of the film, did it differ in any major way to what you'd been used to before? Uh, yeah, very much so. I guess my own experiences with the Irish Film Board, maybe 40% of our time went into like paperwork. It was just, it was almost, <laughs> I've, done, I've done commercial projects on a much, much larger scale, but I've never had a project have so much of my time eaten up by just administrative stuff, just the amount of paperwork that they require to justify giving uh, our little lump sums of budget is is pretty tedious. But then with the NFB, it was just, they were just a dream to work with production-wise, to just go, just kind of go for it, we'll handle the budget, you just kind of work away in the crave, don't think about any of the production, we'll, we'll be the full-on producer, you'll just be the crave and do it. But then the flip side and the end of it, the Irish Film Board hands you the film and you own all the rights and you can put it online and you can sell it, you can distribute it. But then if you're the direct opposite, they work like a production company. So they're hiring you to make a film. And at the end of it, they 100% own the film. And then they decide how to distribute it, what festivals to enter, when to put it online, um, everything. So, yeah, the, it's it's a tough thing to completely hand over you know, your creative baby to it, the NFB or anyone else. So, yeah, it's a new experience. So was this an idea that was, was it kind of fully formed, the idea for the film when you presented it to them or did it kind of develop a bit more as it went? Yeah, it was pretty much fully formed. It presented a slight tweaking of the script. Um, but the thing that wasn't fully formed was the visuals. So uh, with them, I spent months and months uh, just designing out and uh, creating all the visuals for the film. Um, and the good feedback and like every now there were by no means they kind of just let you do your own thing uh, they weren't intrusive at all but any time they did step in and give a small bit of advice which you, you weren't obliged to take on whatsoever it was some good advice of uh, a good crew with a ton of experience so yeah every now and again they stepped in with some really good input mm. yeah do they put together any kind of team for you? I mean, certainly the audio in this one, as you were sort of saying before about like throwing a lot of energy into the audio side of things, the audio is, in this is really quite yeah, tremendous. It really helped out, uh, I guess. So audio, uh, so yeah, this one was weird. There was like, uh, we paused production for six months because we had a different voiceover attached to it and we we're waiting around to work with him and then it, it just didn't happen. Um, you know Paul Giamatti? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we approached him about doing it and he said, yeah, but then being the NFB, there was huge complications in hiring an American actor for a Canadian funding body. And it went through months and months of paperwork, I guess, I guess to get him involved. And then it just, it didn't really happen. So then from the end of that day suggested it was, 
100% dare suggest him, Nicholas Campbell, who nailed the script. Like, he was uh, amazing. I never even heard of Nicholas Campbell. He's like a TV actor here in Canada. But yeah, he's, he's a really interesting character. He just showed up, nailed the script. And then I suggested John Black, a Toronto-based sound designer for sound design. And then they suggested Menelon, a, a Montreal-based composer duo who uh, they were amazing as well so yeah we got that amazing stack of audio people which made uh, my job once again <laughs> super easy just a super super strong audio base you can just throw any type of visual it'll, it'll sound good or mm. the good experience i guess there's a sort of two parts to the film yeah and the opening sort of part has the the very sort of uh, adventurous visual motif. Yeah. Was that at all informed by the sound mix, or was it more sort of traditionally like animated first, and then the sound is is specific to the visuals? Uh, yeah, it was more traditional. Like John uh-huh. John Black of uh, Cyber Audio was like just throwing me ideas, so we didn't really have an audio that the sound design lockdown. Um, but yeah, from that we were just we imagined. This character just um, uh, transmitting this kind of distorted signal through space, which isn't really being picked up on or no one's really listening to. And just that idea of, yeah, this distorted, unheard signal. So just from that, the two of us, um, that's where the visuals came from, that kind of glitchy, distorted radio signal. And then... John with sound design, he, he got pretty experimental. He was like, he got these specialized mics he could put right up to, say, like an old CD-ROM, and it was able to listen to, it's something to do with, <laughs> I don't know, the magnetic fields of electronics. It was able to pick up the sounds of them, and he got some really, really weird noises to go along with everything. Um but yeah, his exact processes, I don't remember. I just remember involved some weird, complicated mics. But the end result was amazing. And to sort of tread cautiously, because I don't want to spoil the reveal, Yeah, I guess, of the film, but I, I did very much enjoy it. So it might be hard to kind of answer this without kind of giving too much away, but that sort of reveal of what is sort of actually going on, or at least as far as how, what everyone else is concerned. Yeah. It was at all sort of based on like real life observation or personal sort of musings. I, I guess it was a bit. I guess it was just like a lot of myself where I just like to pull it down into reality, and then the reality of no one gave a shit sh- about this guy's epic journey. Mm. So yeah, it is hard to <laughs> talk about without giving too much away. But yeah, just yeah, I like the idea of just pulling everything back to reality. So it was, wasn't based on any one event, but I think we've all kind of know that character. We've seen that character mm. s- somewhere. So maybe they have more to tell us than we, than we think. So you also um, you do a lot of uh, micro shorts, or certainly that I had done over the years. Yeah, um, yeah. And I was curious, were these, are these for the most part entirely personal like things you do in your free time or are they, is there a sort of... Yeah, just 100% my free time. I go on to mm. freesound.org, download some audio samples and then uh, I usually have some type of idea in mind and then just, um, and I try to give myself a timeline, like just 
sitting down with no idea from like idea to concept to script to storyboard to animation to sound design to getting it out there try do it all in like 10 hours or something you know it's like just do it super super quick like picasso's sketchbook is more interesting than a lot of his finished art you know i love just pumping out something really really quick just for the sake of it if you spend too much time polishing it you might uh you might you might wreck the idea or shave something off or uh, i don't know i just like the idea of really quick animated sketches and i really want to do more i want to do more and more but I seem to be running out of time these days but yeah uh, I'd love to be some type of like artist in residency where you're just paid to pump out shit all week long. That'd be my ideal scenario. <laughs> so that was Owen Duffy talking about his work with the NFB film called I Am Here. That will be playing at the Encounters Short Film and Animation Festival here in Bristol next week on Wednesday, September 20th. In fact, it's in Animation 1, Packing a Punch at noon. Also playing in that screening is Squiggly's very own Laura Beth's film, which is called Boris Norris. And uh, that's another animation project that I uh, covered in my dubious voice work. So (laughs) (laughs) a lot more kind of growling and bellowing and stuff. That's pretty much it. It's like a very, it's like a weevil and bob after a lot of like cigars and whiskey. (laughs) So yeah, that looks like a good screening. Also the new Chris Shepard film, John is dead is in there and a bunch of other stuff that I haven't yet seen, but looks very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, the whole festival is full of loads of great films. Some stuff we saw at Annecy, uh, some stuff we've seen kind of elsewhere. Yeah. Just a really great program. It's encounters festival.org.uk. Squiggly will be there doing the usual squiggly thing. Uh, we'd be doing like filmmaker Q and A's after the screenings. And I think there might be a party. As of yet, I'm not involved in anything like that, but sometimes they just like add Squiggly to the name of the party. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the rounders game in, in Annecy. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> These fine, well-structured traditions. <laughs> Between now and the next podcast, Ben, uh, we will probably have announced the full programme of the Manchester Animation Festival. So we'll be revealing our uh, films in competition and guests and workshops and masterclasses and panels and all that kind of good stuff as well. Uh, that's going to be on the 25th of September, so if you want to keep your eyes on that. That's just after Encounters, so if you've not had enough uh, of the, the splendour of Encounters and, and want to gear yourself up for the next animation festival, then that's where you want to go. Uh, on the uh, 25th of September, we'll be announcing everything on our Facebook and Twitter pages. And... Um... The website is manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk, right? It certainly is. There you go. Now, believe it or not, my short film Clem and Throw is still being played at festivals. Uh, this month, it's going to be at the K-Rock International Animated Films Festival, which is a uh, touring festival. It takes place on a Russian river cruiser, and that's going to be kicking off this week, September 13th through to the 21st, and it goes through Moscow, Uglik, Goritsky, Petrozavodsk, Mandrogi, Valum Island, and St. Petersburg. It's a quite reputed event. I know quite a lot of people I'm fans of have uh, very positive things to say about it, so it's very nice to be involved with them again. Uh, the best place for intro on that festival is their Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash film.festival.krock. And later on in October, it'll be playing in Belfast for the Cine Magic Festival that goes from the 6th to the 29th of October, also, Boris Norris, Laura Beth's film, will be playing there as well. Uh, I don't have the schedule information for that to hand, but the website for that is cinemagic.org.uk. 
that's all for myself and Steve. Uh, until next time, visit squiggly.com, our website, and of course our social media is Twitter at squiggly, facebook.com slash squiggly magazine. Uh, we're at squiggly animation on Instagram. And I'm Ben L. Mitchell on Twitter. Steve is Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson on Twitter. I think that covers the main bases. So I'll hopefully see some of you at Encounters. We should have some filmmaker Q&As go up between now and the next episode of the podcast. But until then, happy animating. <laughs>